This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. You're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, listeners, to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Amy Nelson. Uh, Richard is away this week, but joined with me is Justin Ozer. Justin, how are you? I'm doing great. So this is interesting because as we record this, it's a couple of days from Star Trek Las Vegas. But when this comes out, it'll be a couple of days after Star Trek Las Vegas ends. So I guess I can say here, we had a really great time, didn't we, Amy? (laughs) We did. I am confident in saying that. My God, seeing all the hosts and listeners, the panels were amazing. There was some earth-shattering news there, too, which I can't (laughs) talk about here because it'll spoil the future. But it was awesome. (laughs) Don't be messing with the timeline. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Well, we uh, have some Babel conference feedback uh, from The Chase. Uh, that was Zero Gray 237. Uh, so Justin, why don't you start us off? I wasn't on this episode, so. All right. Well, uh, yeah, that was the one that Chase and Panspermia, where we had guests from the Strange New Worlds podcast, Mike Wong and Elise Cutts. And the first comment is from Stefan Ringlein, who says, wow, what an extraordinary episode. The science behind a favorite episode of mine was sweet. Mike and Elise did a great job in explaining it. I could have easily listened to another hour. Well, thank you so much. So glad you enjoyed it and you wanted even more. That's always a good sign, I think. That is. That's a great comment. Wow. Uh, Matthew Bell said, so great to have Mike Wong back again. I, too, first caught him on the edge and immediately started checking out his back catalog. He and his colleagues make science fun and extremely accessible. Yes, they do, for sure. Yeah, it was, God, there's so much I learned in that episode, and I'm sure that a lot of our listeners did as well, so I'm really glad that uh, the people enjoyed it, yeah. And then Patrick Carlin says, we do know what we're going to be. We're going to be salamanders, threshold reference for the win, hashtag team lizard babies. (laughs) Could always count on Patrick for one of those references. We were talking about salamanders and future evolution, de-evolution, so (laughs) appreciate that you... You got that that reference. And I think in the Babel conference, I said that there could be an alternate episode where there's like a future salamanderoid actually from the past who's talking to these salamander Romulan and Klingon and humans and Cardassians. So yeah. that was a lot of fun. <laughs> Johnson Lai, it was interesting and sad that this important archaeological discovery was never referenced again in Trek. But then I wondered if anyone recorded the alien message. 
Can it be played again by assembling the DNA sequences? Or are the people present the only people who know about this? Thus, why Picard wished the message hadn't fallen on such deaf ears. It's a really interesting question. I mean, you would think this is like a huge discovery and Picard still has a tricorder with the sample and, you know, they could distribute that through whatever media they have. But we don't really even see much of media in the 24th century, like 24th century pretty much at all. You see a little in the 22nd and 23rd century. But yeah, we don't know what happens they just kind of drop it, never reference it again. Yeah. So I, I hope that if we have some series in the future that takes place, you know, post Nemesis or post the chase, that they make some reference or talk about some of the ramifications, because that would be really cool. Yeah, it, it's a great episode, and that is a great question. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get on to today's discussion. We have with us a special guest. This is the host of Trek FM's Continuing Mission and the creator of our wonderful artwork on Earl Grey, Tony Robinson. Hi. Tony, welcome to Earl Grey. Yes. Uh, uh, thank you. <laughs> I'm overwhelmed. And uh, it's a real <laughs> pleasure. Yeah. Um, fascinating. Well, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Continuing Mission in case they haven't been listening, which you should, listeners. Well, let's uh, start with Continuing Mission. Um, that's a podcast that's dedicated to discussing fan-made productions, fan-made Star Trek productions. And uh, there's lots of people involved in in making their own fan movies and not just actors, but, you know, writers, camera people, storytellers. I meet an amazing bunch of people or talk to an amazing bunch of people. Um, one guy, even whose name is Ray Tessie, I shouldn't call him one guy, but Ray Tessie, if you listen to one of my podcasts, recently just bought the studios where the fan movie Star Trek continues was made. And that ran for 11 episodes, and Star Trek Continues was probably the pinnacle of all fan movies because it closely resembled the original uh, Star Trek series with William Shatner in it. And they did everything they could to make that series look like they had just picked up where season three had kind of finished um, back in the 60s. And the camera work was fantastic. They even filmed in a four by three format and they did everything they could. And in, and they obviously came to an end. But what would happen to the studios? Well, there are fans out there that love to make Star Trek movies of their own and they need a place to film. So if you're in Kingsland, Georgia and you're willing to make a, a Star Trek movie, then contact Stage 9 Studios and get a uniform and a camera and you are away but yeah you meet a lot of people in this business who are so dedicated and if they could get paid for their efforts or if they could be absorbed into the greater canon of star trek then the medium would be much richer for their input so they do a great great job okay but i also wear another hat you didn't mention yes. a certain musically themed podcast. Oh, that is right. Yes. So <laughs> one of, the, of our more popular podcasts on Trek of M is called Melodic Tracks. And Melodic Tracks discusses the music of track, not just the actual pieces of music that played throughout the movies or TV shows, 
but an in-depth look at the composers and the people who contribute their talents and art to that form. And uh, melodic treks uh, kind of slowed down and came to a bit of a stop in November of 2017, and then suddenly burst back on its audience in uh, June, I think it was, or July of 2018. And so far, the reception has been fantastic. Uh, if you love Star Trek music, or if you like listening to what composers have to say about their music, then tune in to Melodic Tracks, hosted by our very own Brandon Shea Mutala, who does a great job hosting that show. But um, yeah, I look after the production side of that show uh, as well. Yeah. So I'm a Trek FM, True Blue kind of person. All right. Well, this was your idea, and it might have a little bit of influence with your uh, melodic treks influence there. Um, so you wanted to talk about the musical instruments and like what bands they would be in and just all the instruments that show up on Next Generation. And I thought, wow, what a great idea. So usually when you think about Next Generation, like the first thing that comes to mind is Riker's trombone. Um, but we definitely see other characters play other instruments. And so we are going to launch into that discussion. So I think it was great, Tony, for you to come up with this idea and looking forward to seeing what uh, bands or musical groups that uh, we can get for these characters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, with all that music going around the Enterprise, it's a, it's a wonder they have time to fight off the enemy or discuss a, some scientific uh, anomaly that they've come across, no, you know. So, uh, exactly. you know, Commander Riker, can you report to the bridge? Oh, sorry, I'm in the middle of my band practice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. but uh, yeah, it must be crazy at times. Yes. Well, so we do see Riker's trombone in Conundrum, 1100101. We see them Future Imperfect, Second Chances, Thine Own Self, and The Next Phase. So this is probably uh, the character that we see the most often playing an instrument and consistently mm -hmm. the same instrument. Yeah? I think that's that's true. At least from the research that, we, that we've done, it seems like you see Riker playing trombone more than you see any other character playing a uh, specific instrument. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because we see Data... You know, he sort of alternates because he's exploring the human condition and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But but Riker is consistently the trombone. Yeah. Yeah. So I had this kind of um, idea about Riker and his trombone and um, where that came from and what he did before he joined Starfleet. And I imagine that he was part of a high school band. Especially one of those mm -hmm. marching bands that you see at the college football final when they all get on the, you know, the halftime thing. And they, yeah. yeah, and the I'm sure show. he was there, actually, because there was one guy that stood out. He had a trombone uh, in the Kansas State um, college uh, game. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, they marched in, in formation and they made uh, the shape of the Enterprise. Did you see that? Oh one? right, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah, it's on. It's, look it up wow. on YouTube. It was, it was maybe like a year ago or something. Go back right? maybe one or two yeah. years, and you'll see the the halftime cool. uh, um, game show. 
and the band uh-huh. come on and they form uh, Enterprise and even shoots a, if I'm correct, even shoots a photon torpedo at a Klingon, um, you know, D7 or something, yeah, bird of prey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was awesome. Riker. I'm sure it was Riker <laughs> that was doing it. Yeah. So I'm sure that's where he, <laughs> that's where he started, you know, getting his love. Well, you know, if Starfleet Academy has a marching band, surely he's he was part of uh, it, right? Yeah, he was probably there up front <laughs> and center with, you know, taking people's eyes out with that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I forgot to look up and I wanted to. What's the name of that song that he always misses the note? Oh, man, I don't know. Which one is it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can think of a few notes. It's like, just like misses the note. Uh, Every single time, even at his birthday. That was in Second Chances. Yeah. <laughs> and it's. I think it's funny because like uh, Jonathan Frakes himself, I think, is an accomplished trombone player. So he had to, you know. Just the fake missing notes and Had stuff. Had to flub so. it up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's great acting then. <laughs> well, they say that um, in order to make yourself look bad, you actually have to play very well because, mm. you know, anybody can play badly. But, you know, it takes a lot of yeah. effort just to make a note come out of a trombone. You can't just blow into it and out comes, you know, some sound. You oh, know, yeah. It, it takes, I know, I, I've never played the trombone myself, but I know it takes a special skill. And when you're moving the slide, you have to know, like, the specific place to move it to for certain notes and the pressure you have to, to get for it. I mean, it's not like, I played trumpet for a little while in, in middle school, and, you know, there are just certain combinations that you that you put. But for the trombone, you have to, like, take the slide to specific areas, and that's, I think that's yeah. hard. Yeah. <laughs> it takes some uh, learning. To hit to the do. mark every time because it's yeah. not, like, pressing when a you, button. And, and if you've seen yeah. someone play trombone, they just, like, keep going back and forth and back and forth to different places because the notes go to yeah. different places. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I appreciate that quite I, a lot. I had a friend who had a trombone, and I was fascinated by the instrument just because of the mechanical movement of the that that section of the trombone that you know and i i was desperate to um have a go and i said oh please please let me try it and he said yeah sure sure hold it this way you know with your left hand and put your hand on the slidey piece and and um i said okay and i didn't realize how slidey that thing is and we were yeah and we were on oh, yeah. stage <laughs> Um, where he he'd been you know pr- playing and I got up on the stage I said oh let me have a go and I took the thing off him and that sucker just flew out of my hand you can fly out yeah <laughs> and went sailing away and of course they're, they're <laughs> oh quite gosh. delicate kind of things and he was nearly going mm-hmm. to grab me by the neck and kill yeah. me because you know <laughs> if, you, if you bend these things or dent them you know it, it takes a lot of yeah. effort to fix them again so Fortunate. Yeah, you've got to keep that oiled. Cause, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fortunately, yeah. it was fine. But boy, I I never did get the opportunity to try it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I would be interested, listeners, if any of you played trombone, and as we go through these instruments, let us know on the Babel Conference, like what everyone played. So we've learned that Justin played the uh, trumpet. The trumpet for yeah. a few years. Yeah. Awesome. I'm sure we will learn a lot about each other as we go through this. (laughs) So I was thinking about Riker and his personality and uh, what type of band he would be in. And the first one that came to my mind, and I could just see him up on stage. And I have seen um, Chicago 
on stage and in concert. And I can just see Riker up there blowing his horn and and rocking out to some good old tunes of Chicago. So that's my band pick for Riker. I think that's a a good one. And yeah, their horn section and trombone are pretty prominent in in a lot of their songs. (laughs) So I could imagine him just like having a great time doing that because we usually see him in like a a jazz setting, but Mm -hmm. to have him in more of like a rock setting would be pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But you can't forget the fact that the trombone being a brass instrument is also used in, you know, orchestras. So he could have been Mm -hmm. part of a symphony orchestra performing at the Rockefeller Center or something. You know, that's true. There you go. It, I mean, it's a it's a very versatile instrument because I mean, not only do you see it, yeah, it could be something classical, it could be rock, it could be jazz. There's also like a lot of of soul music that has that kind of horn section or R and B, and so it's it seems like it's pretty versatile mm-hmm. with what you can. And then of course, you know, going back further, there were you know big bands where they had prominent brass sections and trombone oh, and all yeah. that. So there's a lot of different like genres you can use it in. I think. Yeah, so Justin, what uh, band do you have Riker playing in? Well, you know, like I'm I'm a big fan of 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 jazz and I know he plays jazz a lot on the on the uh on TNG that you see, but I would have liked to see him be part of like Louis Armstrong's All-Stars group in the 50s and 60s. So during that time he had a guy named Trummy Young who played trombone, who was a fantastic trombone player and really added a lot to what he was playing then. And I could see Riker in that role, just having a great time with Louis Armstrong. Oh, yeah, that is a great <laughs> pick. Yep. <laughs> I'm wondering uh, if he'd qualify to be in Earth, Wind and Fire because they had a great brass section. Hmm. You listen to any of their yeah. songs and they just open with just that tremendous brass piece. And uh, he could have yeah. he could fit right in. I think you're right. I mean, I think the thing I think about Riker is he could probably use that trombone and fit in just about like anywhere and he would have a great time with it. So I could definitely see Earth, Wind and Fire or some other like R&B or soul group that that has a brass section. Definitely. Or maybe like James Brown or something like that. That would be (laughs) cool. I could see him just having such a great time. I know. He's got such an outgoing personality that he would just fit in in any type of genre I can see. Maybe that's why... He, you never see him really sitting down on the Enterprise. He's always standing up. And you don't see him as part of those classical performances that you see right. the others part of. He's always standing up and playing. I think you're right. That's mm-hmm. where he feels comfortable. And that is like the appropriate thing. If you're, if you're playing something that's not classical, you'll stand up and perform for the audience that yeah. way. Yeah, a performance. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, another very iconic musical instrument in the next generation is Picard's Resican flute. And we see that in The Inner Light, the awesome episode, The Inner Light. And he also breaks it out again in Lessons. So, uh, Tony, what do you think about this Resican flute and how Picard learned how to play it? Well, again, my theory is that... uh Picard is a secret Jethro Tull lover. Uh, his exterior <laughs> is that of a refined classicist. And, he, you know, you'd only find him in, in concert halls, you know, sitting in a box, looking mm. down on the orchestra and enjoying Berlioz as we, he does in the yeah. first, first contact. First contact, I think. Is, yes. Yeah. And um, I should know that. And, uh, but... 
secretly he's listening to Living in the Past with Jethro Tull. So that's where he's picked up. He's listened to Jethro and he said, you know what? I'm going to learn the flute. Uh, which came in handy because when he had to live that life all over again, you know, mm-hmm. he knew what to do. It, yeah. it was instinctive. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I could I could uh, I could see him as like an Ian Anderson type, just like jamming out on his his flute while the band rocks out, <laughs> like Aqualung or something like that. The, the, the question <laughs> oh is, though, goodness. can he stand on one leg and play <laughs> at the same time? You know, because that is that that is the calling card of a great flautist. Mm. Yeah, I we usually see him on. On two legs. I don't know how often do you even see Picard on like one leg doing yeah. anything. <laughs> They're not dignified, is it? No. But you know, mm-hmm. secretly in his ready room, just before Riker comes in unexpectedly, he might be standing on one leg practicing away. I'd like to think he does that. Could yeah. be. Yep. <laughs> you have to emulate your hero, like so that's the way you do it. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. All right, Justin. So for, when I was thinking about this and, you know, you have to, because I was thinking, you know, we could think of all kinds of things in a classical context, but I want to think outside of that. Uh, so the one that, that I thought about was the Moody Blues because they did have a, a flautist. Uh, the one I was thinking of in particular was Knights in White Satin, which has a really nice uh, flute part to it. Um, and so, yeah, I could totally see Picard doing that. I mean, and also if you contrast it with Jethro Tull for, for something like Knights in White Satin, it's kind of like stately and elegant and all of that. And I could totally see Picard fitting and doing that. <laughs> That's very nice. Awesome. Very awesome. nice. <laughs> well, you, you reacted. Was that your pick, Amy? Well, <sighs> sort of, sort, sort of. of. Okay. Yeah. Well, you guys have already mentioned like, Ones that I'm going to say, so I'm like, well, flute, there's, to... there's not a long list, really. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> so when I was thinking Picard, I don't know why, but I was just, I was channeling the inner hippie that Picard has, in my opinion. Mm. So I was, I went with the mamas and the papas in California Dreaming. Oh, and I can just oh, see nice. him, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah. Him and, you know, sort of when he has his hair, it grows out a little bit longer and, <laughs> yeah. you know, him playing. And because like... Hippie Picard. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And the Resican flute isn't quite exactly the flute. So like your hippies and just like anything goes mantra. And so he's got his Resican flute, which yeah. is a little different. And I forgot there is a nice flute part. Yeah. 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 And, and that they had in uh, California. Dreamers. I can see him yeah. In, yeah. in San Francisco going, peace, love, and... Earl Grey tea. While he makes the Vulcan salute like you are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Good old Picard. (laughs) Yeah, he probably listened to a lot of uh, Grateful Dead and uh, a lot of uh, Jimmy Hendrix. But but really, in the 24th century, are they really listening to a lot of 20th century music? Hey, we're saying what they would be in if they were here now. Okay, all right. Yeah, (laughs) plus the fact that every time they've um, had an adventure, um, um, particularly when they met Saffron Cochran, they were listening to 20th century music, rock music, that is. So... Well, Zephram Cochran, that's what he wanted yeah, to put but, in because it was only 100 years yeah. behind him. But, yeah, but, yeah okay. you know, that, they would have thought, <laughs> hey, we forgot about this stuff. This is cool. Let's look. And mm-hmm. probably if we were to look at it, like, because uh, Picard always goes to, like, the Dixon Hill, and that's more, you know, 50s, yeah. 60s. So 70s isn't that too far away. That's, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> 
Yeah, I like to think they're they're big 20th century aficionados because uh, because it's just such an interesting period of time, I guess. <laughs> it was well, it was a very interesting period of time. It was the probably oh, sure. the most creative um, time this the late 60s in 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 terms of what we like as music today. All the modern bands and rock bands and stuff come out of that yeah. those times and everything it else really is diverged. everything yeah. else is derivative i was i saw mm-hmm. um it's a, it's a bit subjective because those things were combinations of earlier things as well so right well maybe but i saw an um <laughs> a poster for uh the theater show or you know from that movie school of rock and uh the poster just had a kid on it dressed like a a rock star and he had a tie uh, a necktie tied around his head and some kind of a jacket on and a and a face you know that looked like he was angry and um the early rock stars in the late 60s they didn't do that you know they weren't putting on a fashion statement but their clothing became fashion statements later and then kids picked up mm-hmm. on it and then said if you want to look like a rock star you got to dress like these guys but those guys weren't dressing like anybody else, so they had no um, role models to play on. Whereas, you know, so everything is kind of derivative now. So you get a rock band out; mm-hmm. they all have to play the guitars loud and bash the drums to bits and make some sort of a riff. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying they didn't start it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's a separate. Conversation. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I was getting <laughs> rock political there, so. All right. Well, another very recognizable instrument is Data's violin. And we see him play that in elementary, Dear Data. We see him in the Ensigns of Command, Sarek, In Theory, and Inheritance. And as we discussed, Data also plays other instruments. Um, He plays the oboe during In Theory and the guitar during Silicon Avatar. So... Tony, start us off. What do you think about Data and his violin? Well, my big problem with Data, if I'm going to have an issue with him at all, is that, and I think he mentions it in one episode, is that he can technically play the violin. He can play and reproduce the sound of any major, you know, uh, violin player, violinist violinistist um that that has ever lived and he can just duplicate that sound and then you could sit in the audience listen to him and not tell the difference so my Mm -hmm. thing about data is he is essentially a um a synthesizer you know he's it's not i don't i don't know if that's entirely true because there is one episode where he says that he's taken two styles and combined them and picard points out well that's how you make something new that's creativity so he is able to not just replicate but also combine certain things into something new okay i'll take that one <laughs> but i'm just saying <laughs> that you know if you asked him to play shostakovich or something then he'd grab mm-hmm. a cello and uh, and just go for it and um, mm-hmm. yeah, and find, he'd find a technique yeah. or a performance and try to replicate and, it. And then he, yeah. and then you close your eyes, listen, and you wouldn't particularly, you wouldn't know the difference, even if you're an aficionado. So uh, the, the thing about data is that, yeah, apart from the time when he combines two uh, types or formats, uh, which is creative, I just think he's capable of duplicating something, and 
that mm-hmm. in itself is lowers his ability, in my opinion. I'm being very, very, well, very. Well, he is um, an android. He is an so. android. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's like a, you know, it's like a push a button and out comes the music. But uh, I'm, yeah. you know. No, no. If you push a button on data, he gets deactivated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've got to be careful which button you press. <laughs> yeah. But he would be great. Um, I'm sure if data was in a band, apart from playing the violin, he could probably, you know, he could be like one of those, do you ever see those one-man band people? They have a drum on their back oh. and they have cymbals <laughs> on their knees and he could yeah. guitar and then a mouth organ on a thing. And uh, he could be one of those, and he could like he could be a whole band all by himself, yeah. and goodness knows what. Or maybe he wouldn't yeah. even need any instruments. He could just have like all of the elements of that come out as a sound from his mouth. Yeah, <laughs> like the the whole performance. Oh yeah, but the thing is that if the other people were struggling, you know, for someone to come along and and harmonize with them, then Data would be the guy to call. He'd just be the everyman, hmm. the musical everyman. So not yeah. something specific with data on, the, say, the violin or something like that, but just he would be the all-purpose musician? Yeah, I think so. I don't think he'd... Hmm. I mean, he's always striving to shine and, you know, be above the rest. But that said, he's striving to do it. He's not actually getting there. Nobody's coming up and saying, oh, I listened to that, uh, you know, Itzhak Perlman violin concerto. And you are definitely better because, you know, you left him miles behind. But that's never going to happen mm-hmm. for, for Data, unfortunately. All right, Justin. Interesting thoughts. I, I thought of uh, primarily Data on the violin. I know he plays the oboe and the guitar, but I was thinking on the on the violin. And like as I was just thinking about what music has a prominent violin, I thought of the... Um, Dexy's Midnight Runner's song, Come On Eileen, which has a really nice violin part it, it, that starts it and it kind of goes through the, the whole part. And I'm just imagining, you know, the video for that, just putting in data on the violin. Nice. <laughs> so, and Very I like good. that song a lot, so. Okay, so for my pick, I sort of went totally outside of the box. But so come with me and see if you can follow my thoughts. So I was thinking a fistful of datas and they're in the holodeck in the Western. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and in that one, we see data in a lot of different characters. So I thought data pulled off a fabulous woman. And so I've got data playing (laughs) with the Dixie chicks and he's playing. (laughs) Oh, all right. (laughs) So he's channeling his country and his woman vibe and he is going on tour with the Dixie chicks. I love the Dixie chicks. I think Hmm. their, their fiddling and their violin playing is just awesome. And I could see him up there just jamming it with those ladies. (laughs) But he needs some like attitude for his stage performance. Oh, he would, he would mimic them, yeah, sure. okay. <laughs> he could do a good hoedown, I think. Yeah, yes. absolutely. <laughs> I'd, I'd wow, like to see right. him doing I that. Didn't think about that at all. <laughs> well, music is a broad church, as we say in the music business. Yeah, uh, at least I would if I was mm-hmm. in it. But um, yeah, no. I mean, you can if you're a player, you, uh, you know, you can do anything. I think. Yeah. Yeah, and there are people that play lots of different instruments, which I'm always really impressed by, <laughs> that people can do that. Yeah. 
All right. Well, let's move on to O'Brien's cello. And he plays this in Ensigns of Command, right? He, yeah. And I mean, it's just like such a small thing. And a lot of people don't even like realize it. But he is there with a cello playing this this piece at the beginning of Ensigns of, of Command. I think it's just like a short scene. And then Picard has to walk out because some situation comes up. Right. But he's there, he's there on the cello. It's established he plays it. Yeah. So, but we never, I know he may mention it in DS9 once or twice, but. (laughs) Well, I haven't heard it mentioned yet and I'm in season four, but still have more seasons. Well, Memory Alpha says it's there. I don't remember which episode. Oh, okay. (laughs) But isn't it amazing that in Next Generation that you have all these characters on on the ship uh, who are musically gifted? I don't know who isn't Mm -hmm. musically gifted. Maybe... I, I want to see what instrument Worf plays. I don't think we ever see him play anything, um, do we? Isn't he a fan of Klingon opera? No, he listens to it, but he doesn't play anything that I right. know of. Oh, he sings. Oh, that's true. We could say that Worf sings. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe he puts a few strings on his batleth and twangs it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> that would be yeah. great. But yeah, you know, like as I was looking at this, I was thinking of instruments that people play. I wasn't thinking of people that, that sing, and Worf does sing Klingon opera. Huh. Well, maybe he could go ahead. Go no, go ahead. Oh, I was saying like, could we see Worf as like an opera singer singing like Italian opera <laughs> or something? <laughs> I don't know. I might see him more along the lines of like heavy metal screaming, oh, yeah, headbanging. Definitely. Oh, the anger coming out Worf. through his yeah. music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I I was wondering, like, who sings, and we don't really see a lot of people singing. Um, and I, then I was thinking, like, going through the characters, and, and then Beverly and her tap dancing, and, and I was thinking, well, maybe we could say performing arts, but I just left it as musical instruments. But, but Miles yeah, but O'Brien we're... sings. He sings the minstrel boy, doesn't he? Oh, that yes. That is true. So, that is yeah. true. He likes to... Maybe he would be a singer of Irish ballads. Yeah, he likes to warble his, his voice. And uh, I think Picard, uh, no, Picard definitely sings because we see him singing um, some opera from, uh, what is it? Um, the pir- From the Pirates of Penzance, he sings. Gil- oh, Gilbert, that's right. Gilbert yeah, yeah, and yeah, Sullivan. Yeah. Insurrection. He does, yeah. yeah. A, jo- yeah. a Jolly Jack Tar, I think, is it? Oh my gosh. That's okay, right. So and we have, and we have Data singing that too, and Worf joins in a bit, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so they're a yeah. very talented bunch of people. And, yes. um, and they're all out there in space somewhere, wasting away when they should be on a stage. But, um, so, where would you see O'Brien? Oh, he would definitely be in an, um, a St. Patrick's Day Irish uh, tribute band with a an Aaron sweater and a, a bobble hat and a pint of Guinness and you'd be <laughs> grabbing the mic and singing all those Irish tunes that you have to sing on St. Patrick's Day. And uh yeah, he'd be he'd be stealing the show. Maybe Maybe that's what Colmini actually does every St. Patrick's Day. I Maybe. well, no, I got news for you there. He he does that every day. He doesn't. He's Irish. He doesn't need St. Patrick's Day as an excuse. There you actually, go. Actually, St. Patrick's Day is probably the day when he doesn't do it and he, he takes a rest. <laughs> he goes and watches. Wow. Goes and watches somebody else. <laughs> All right, Justin. What do you have for O'Brien? Whether well, his yeah. voice or his cello? Yeah, I hadn't thought of his voice, so I was thinking of his cello and 
Yeah, and it's interesting because you know when you think of O'Brien and you know I'm seeing the Minstrel Boy and all and like his character, it seems maybe a little bit different that he's that he's doing the cello, but I kind of like it, and I see him doing like duets with Yo-Yo Ma on wow. cello. <laughs> I think yeah. that would be cool. That would be fantastic. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was the first thing that came to mind. Very good. So <laughs> I was thinking with O'Brien and how like he's in engineering and or sorry, he's transporter chief in, in uh, next gen. And so sort of, you know, out of the limelight. And so I have him and with his, you know, heritage being Irish and all. So I have him in the pit playing with a lot the orchestra and the music for River Dance. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so he's there, he's creating music, but he's not in the limelight. You know, he's in the background and letting the other shine. And, and I feel that's how O'Brien's role is in hmm, TNG. Yeah. But Tony, would he be playing for Riverdance? Oh, no, he definitely <laughs> would. But the thing so, about Riverdance is it focuses on the dancers, not the music yeah. players. Right. But he'd definitely be... That's why I'm saying he's, yeah, he's down below he's the stage. It, he's yeah. creating yeah. the music that they dance yeah. to. No, he definitely would do that. Absolutely. Yeah. But the thing is that um, if they all got together in one room and jammed, what kind of sound do you think would come out? Well, let's go through that once we get through the okay. everyone. That's a good question. So hang on <laughs> to that, listeners. Start thinking. We've got a lot going on. So, But let's talk about where we've got Q, who's playing the trumpet in Deja Q. Ooh, yeah. He's a, yeah. He's in a mariachi band. He is. <laughs> he is, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, and we I, know Q can do anything, and he chooses the mariachi band and the trumpet. So what do you think about that? Makes him Tony? happy. Yeah, I think he he um, should definitely have a career in Mexican music. That's the way I see it, because he was good in that one. <laughs> he'd be great in what's the name of that band? Los Lobos. He'd be he'd oh, be part yeah. of okay. Los Lobos. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Nice. Very good. All right, Justin. Well, I thought of something different, and I thought it would be perfect. I mean, he plays in that mariachi style, and this this fits into it and i haven't done it so far but i wanted to actually do some like humming and singing of my choice if that's okay. all right with you guys please take it away <laughs> so when i thought what i thought of it was <laughs> i fell into a burning ring fire. of fire it went down 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 and the flames went higher i just love that song i had to sing it but but it has such a great trumpet part and it is kind of a bit in that mariachi style that that uh, that was arranged for the johnny cash song so yes oh my gosh that is perfect i love it justin but what if he's a secret herb albert fan as well and he likes the old mm. Tijuana brass uh, music, yeah. or Sergio Mendes Brazil '66. Mm. Um, that could be, yeah. But it just seemed like it fits so much, like the scene that, <laughs> that he does in Deja Q with this mariachi group. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, and it gave me an opportunity to sing. Thank you, and thank you, listeners. I hope it sounded okay. okay. It did. It sounded great. Oh my gosh! You're hired. For the stage show, <laughs> right. the new musical right. stage pr uh, production of Earl Grey coming to a theater near you. <laughs> yeah. I'm not that. I'm not that good. 
My wife is far more talented at singing and playing music than I am. Thank you. So question for you, since you did play the trumpet and you love that song, yeah. did you uh, ever play that song on the trumpet? I when didn't you were in because, because I don't think I was even like aware of it at that point. So mm-hmm. I was doing that in middle school and I probably got more familiar with, with Johnny Cash and his music later on, like mm. college and later. So yeah, me too. No, no. Yeah. And I haven't picked the trumpet back up since then. So yeah, but, but it is, it is like a really great part that opens a song and that supports it. And it's just, yeah. that's one of the things that makes, I mean, Johnny Cash is great anyway, but that's mm-hmm. one of the things that just kind of adds to it and elevates it. So I could see like Q being part of the, cause I think it's two or three trumpet players that contribute to that. I could see him being part of the little group. Nice. Yeah. Um, Justin, um, your singing has to be uh, a, a previously on Trek FM clip. Okay. <laughs> that's the that's the bit. That's the one that's going to attract right. the audiences, right. <laughs> or drive them away. <laughs> Excellent. Well, for my cue uh, selection. I was thinking how he can just be anything, anywhere. And so I went with um, Earth, Wind, and Fire. So I sort of... So he's playing the trumpet or doing something else? No, in the trumpet. Yeah, trumpet. Yeah. See, at first when you said he he could be anything, I thought that he would just make himself into a giant trumpet <laughs> that plays itself. <laughs> well, I was thinking like Earth, Wind, Fire. The name of the group was drawing oh, okay. me to his his infinite powers. That That's is cool. the Earth, Wind, and Fire. So Nice. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I could see him having a good time. Yeah. Definitely. Although, I don't know, like if you were in a band with Q, how do you deal with an omnipotent band member you have to i think keep them happy or they could just throw you out anytime yeah <laughs> yeah he'd, but, he'd be a real pain because if you didn't yeah uh, and match up to his standards he'd be he'd like be, snap that's it <laughs> yeah. he'd be facing the borg and the delta quadrant in a second <laughs> yeah if we're looking really at his character he would be the one act show like because he wants all eyes on him and he'd be the main stage so I don't know if putting him in a band is the best idea. <laughs> yeah. In a, a encounter at Farpoint when he came out on that throne through the curtains. Oh, yeah, Judge yeah, Q. It, it just reminded me of David Bowie sitting on that chair singing Star, mm. um, uh. Major Tom. It had the okay. same kind of imagery <laughs> in my going in my head. So I imagine if he's on a stage with his trumpet, he'll come out in his throne with his robes on. And just start mm-hmm. rocking the place. There you go. Hmm. Yeah. I can see it. Yeah. Because he's cute. Because he can. He is. That's his stage persona. All right. So we've got a very small part. Uh, Jordy plays the mandolin in Cupid. Badly. <laughs> when he... <laughs> yes. When Worf protests, I am not to marry man. Um, when he breaks his mandolin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So what do you see for this, Tony? Oh, my goodness me. Um, well, he definitely would have to join people like Rod Stewart, who has uh, a lot of mandolin in uh, hmm. his early songs. And, uh, and he definitely would be in the band with Rod Stewart fronting the band and Jordy would be there in the background just, you know, jamming, jamming out. out along. So, yeah, I think Jordy's a secret 
Rod Stewart and the Faces uh, fan myself. Awesome. All right. Very good. Nice. Okay, Justin. Well, so what came to mind for me, you know, after he has a lot of lessons, right? Because he has to get good at this before he can really join the group. But, you know, what I thought of was um, there are some great REM songs that have mandolin, like Losing My Religion. So I was thinking he could, if he was good, he could support that and do and do a great job in a in a song like that. So, yeah, yeah, nice. that, that was what I thought of, because when I think of mandolin, actually, that's the first song that I think of because it's so prominent and mm. I love the song. Yeah, <laughs> so. that is a really good pick. So I have to be honest, this one was probably the most difficult for me to think of. Um, in it's not part, an instrument that's used a lot. Yeah, <laughs> so. and in part, he's not that good. So yeah. <laughs> we will go along with your premise of, okay, Jordy's had lots of years of practice, and he's really, really good. And so, yeah, the only thing I could think of, and I love this band, it's going back to my country roots, um, Diamond Rio. But on every album that Diamond mm. Rio has out, like they have nine songs and then the 10th song, well, back in the day when, you know, you had 10 songs on an album, um, that 10th song is just pure instrumental. And mm. I can just see Jordy jamming out with that instrumental song, not even, you know, just just ad-libbing and, you know, because mm. I think he's creative, definitely, how many times he's had to solve an engineering crisis so I see him in uh, Diamond Rio. And listeners, if you haven't heard of Diamond Rio, they are amazing. I love their music. But the, I, every album has that just an instrumental, fun song that they jam out to. Oh, interesting. I may have to check it out because that is the first one that we've mentioned here that I haven't heard of. Because mm. I, what I know about country isn't as deep as some other things. But all right. <laughs> I could also see him um, with Bruce Hornsby. Because Bruce Hornsby had a song called oh, Mandolin yeah. Man. That's right. And one of my all-time favorite songs that has a mandolin in it is a very early Elton John song called The Holiday Inn, which is on um, an album called Madman Across the Water, I think. Mm -hmm. I'll get those mixed up, or it could be on... I uh, can't remember. But anyway, it, it opens with a great... Um, <clears throat> mandolin piece the Elton John band mm. had a guy called Davy Johnson in it and he was just a gifted mandolin player but you know in the 23rd century I guess uh, an Elton John tribute band playing that song would have to have Geordie also yeah okay All right. very good all right, so we get to see, in theory, uh, Keiko is playing the clarinet. So. Yep. What? Talk to us about <laughs> that. <laughs> she does. She plays the clarinet. I mean, it's very brief, but yeah. it's, now, it's there. <laughs> this is the instrument that I played when I was in school. Ah, nice. So I started in middle school, and then when I moved up to high school, I just stopped it. I'm like, I no, have a lot of I can't be a band geek. I'm <laughs> sorry. So I just played it. I was in middle school uh, four years, so sixth to ninth oh, grade. Awesome. I have a lot of respect for that because I look at it with like all the, the keys and stuff, and I'm like, how do you know what to play? <laughs> just looks complicated to me. But, That's what I think yeah. about the trumpet when you said that. I'm like, yeah, you well, have but, to but push. The, but the trumpet there's has only the three, three. There's only three valves, but there are different combinations. So for me, that makes sense. Like either you do this, 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 and this. No, but for I the just clarinet, push it looks my like fingers. there's all these. 
Yeah, but there's all these combinations. <laughs> For me, it's like if there's three valves, there's only a certain number of combinations. But with all these different keys on the clarinet, it seems like there's a lot of different combinations. But True. Mathematically, you are correct. The number <laughs> of combinations, I agree. Awesome. Seems higher. Well, although on the trumpet, you make up for that by having a different uh, strength to your to you're, the you're breath that you're putting right? in for the different octaves for the notes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, sure, well, yeah. yeah, and a little bit true with the clarinet as well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right, Tony. <laughs> well, I'm just wondering clarinet. why why you stopped playing the clarinet. Well, because I didn't want to be one of those band geeks. It was all, you know, peer pressure. But you were going to grow up to be a Star Trek geek instead. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't know that at the time. (laughs) Did you ever see a movie called uh, Mr. Holland's Opus? Yes. With Richard Dreyfuss in it. it. Yeah. And the girl who plays the clarinet, she can't quite hit a note. And she wants to give up and he encourages her. And eventually she, she does it. And then at the end of the movie, they form an orchestra. And she comes in right. and plays the clarinet in the orchestra, but she's gone on to be the governor of the state, whatever state they were in, I think. Hmm. So you could have been the governor of... Uh, missed opportunities. Yeah. And all because... responsibility. Yeah, but <laughs> it all starts with a clarinet. And that's yeah. where, you know... Huh, okay. Well, it all starts with a good teacher, Lentz. <laughs> well, I think Let's Keiko would have to be in one of those all-girl bands, all-girl orchestra bands. Oh. Yeah, she'd have to be. Hmm. You know, sometimes you go places and and they have these um, uh, girls doing the nineteen forty hits from World War Two. That had a particular mm-hmm. sound. It was a bit Glenn Millerish and whatever. Oh, okay. nice! But. Um, yeah, Keiko would definitely be in a, a bra- in a wind section. I nearly got those mixed up, uh, you know, in a, w- with an all-girl band, and she'd be doing her Artie Shaw and her, you know, Strangers on the Shore. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar with those songs, but they're all heavily clarinetted uh, pieces of music. Yeah, she'd definitely do that. I like it. Hmm. Well done. Nice. Justin, what do you have? Well, Keiko. actually, the thing... The I, Space I, Girls. They big, could be the Space Girls. Sorry. <laughs> sure. Just that came to me in a flash. She could be <laughs> musical Space Girl. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. That's all right. Well, the first thing that came to mind for me... I'm a big Beatles fan, so the first thing that came to mind for me is when I'm 64, which has a really great clarinet part. That starts it and it kind of goes throughout, but yes, I I thought of that because I love that song and it has a really prominent clarinet. So I could see, I could see maybe that would mean Keiko would be like you know a studio musician. It's contributing to different different things when clarinets needed, but I could see that. Yeah. Oh, that. All this music. All right. So this one (laughs) was probably my most boring selection. I just, I really had a hard time. And with the fact that I even played the clarinet, but I just, I couldn't even think of anything. Um, So, but I know that she uh, very much is into her culture and heritage. And so I have her in the Japan Philharmonic Orchestra. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I just, I don't know, maybe it reflects poorly that I think she's so boring and would just, not boring, but just so typical and just would be in the orchestra, but I don't know. Yeah. That's what I chose. 
Well, no, that I think it's a good choice. Something else as we were talking about that I thought of, I'm also a big fan of, of Gershwin. I thought of Rhapsody in Blue, which has a really oh. great clarinet part, Absolutely. especially yeah. the beginning and throughout. So yeah. there's, a, there's actually a lot of cool uses of, of the clarinet because it has kind of this like soaring range and style to it. That, well, yeah, and I was yeah. thinking jazz and like you said, Louis mm-hmm. Armstrong before, you know, but I'm like, yeah. is that really Keiko? I couldn't really I don't. I don't know if I'd see her, her doing jazz, but I could see her yeah. just like, yeah, sitting down like in a studio contributing a clarinet part or being part of like an orchestra. I could totally see that. Yeah, I, yeah. I like your pick, yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I love oh, it. There's so many good choices, it. yeah. So also in theory, we have Jenna DeSora. Jenna is uh, Data's program love interest there. Girlfriend and she, for a bit. Girlfriend, <laughs> okay. And she plays the flute. And, a regular flute, not a Resigan flute. Yes, <laughs> just a regular flute. So Tony, where do you have Jenna? Oh, I I'm, have to tell you, I'm very unfamiliar with this character. But again, she, be, she could join Keiko. She'd be with Keiko. I mean, that, oh, yeah. yeah, they'd have to get together and make a little palm, or, uh, what do they call it, palm orchestra, a little after dinner kind of orchestra where you just get mm. two or three musicians around and everybody's being genteel and drinking their El Grey tea from China teacups and and uh, they'd be out there playing in the background with a, a palm court orchestra. That's what I was trying to think of, you know. Mm. I think they're called palm court orchestras because there was a palm tree in a pot somewhere and that. That's how the name stuck. I don't know why, mm. but anyway, mm. that's. Uh, okay. But I could see her doing that. But I have to say, I'm not really terribly familiar with that character. So she's just in the one episode. Yeah, and and her and Keiko seem to become friends, you know, and they have the shared, and they're sitting down after their little concert and talking and stuff. So I can see them developing a relationship and starting their little after dinner musical group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I like it. Yes, and then she could tell the stories about one time at band camp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, things that happen at band camp. Yes. Yeah, Jenna's always picking it, the wrong guy. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's always picking the wrong yeah. guy. He's always not. He's always a jerk. It seems like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Justin. So, what do you have for Jenna? Well, my choice is something that Tony had actually mentioned earlier when we were talking about Picard, because the way that I think of Jenna DeSore actually is you see her, it seems like she's kind of like a little shy in the episode, but I see her as somebody that would just like be the one of those people that, that maybe like in person would be shy, but when they get on a stage and they have to perform, they're just like unbelievable. <laughs> so I, I, I had actually imagined her as part of Jethro Tull, like playing the flute and rocking out to it for oh, some reason. Nice. <laughs> but I know we had talked about that before, but, but I, I would just like to see like, if there was that side of her that could just get up there at a performance and just like really get into it and just go crazy. <laughs> so. nice. Well, generally performers do that, don't they? I mean, by day they're, they can be quite introvert people, but give them, a mm-hmm. guitar or a trumpet or something and let them loosen. Suddenly they're even an a entirely crowd different like, person. Yeah. And you get yeah, up there yeah, and they just so. do their do their thing. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So mine also uh, has already been mentioned. Um, so I've got Jenna and I just thought of the name of the band because I feel that she is very all over the place with her emotions. And so she's moody 
<laughs> so I have her moody blues, nights in white satin. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> so I stole that earlier. Yep. <laughs> so I could see that, and it's a nice gentle kind of part. Yeah. That song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so one that I think is Justin's favorite, we have Nella Darren. She right. <laughs> plays the piano in Lessons with Picard, playing his flute. So, Nella Darren, Tony, what do you think? Where would she be? Well, if you're a piano player, <clears throat> you can be in any band. But, you know, the, um, for me, the piano player of, is always Elton John. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that's my default piano player. So whenever I hear anyone playing a piano, I, I want them to play something from Elton John's early collection. Um, So she would have to do it for me. She'd have to do that. She'd have to reproduce some Elton John stuff for me. Not necessarily sing, but, uh, you know, yeah, sorry. Well, that would be really awesome because Elton John uh, has his show here in Las Vegas, and I have seen it, and he's amazing. How old is he now? And he is still rocking it. He's well into his 70s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's been doing it for a long time. (laughs) Yep. And so I could see, you know, Darren right up there along with him. Yeah. Awesome pick. Hmm. I was going to choose Elton John, but I thought, you know, I'm going to hold off on that. Had a sneaking suspicion there, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I grew up, that was my era. In the early 70s, um, you know, I, you'd always find me with a, a set of headphones stuck to my head and uh, listening over and over and over just Elton John music, Elton John music. I, I, I finally fell out of favor with him basically when that first band he had, uh, which were great together, he decided to move on and, and change the musicians he worked with. And for, and he broke up uh, with Bernie Taupin, who wrote the lyrics. Mm, and yeah. for some reason, his music just changed. And he was still Elton John, but the music was kind of... Uh, when, when did that happen? I'm going to say around 76, 77. He, he brought mm. out... Makes, makes sense. He brought out... A, I kind of part... Sorry, he brought out a, a, an album called Blue Moves. And from then on, it was all kind of... Not good, not good. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I kind of part ways with him a bit around that time, and when he, when he was doing that kind of music or like Philadelphia Freedom, which is like, oh, I'll just roll my eyes out a bit. Yeah, <laughs> but but yeah, but the stuff he was doing, like the early to mid seventies, is great, and it went unnoticed um, until recently. I mean, a song that's now played on the on the radio, uh, "Tiny Dancer," goes out so many times. I think mm. that was used in a movie uh, and end title to some movie recently, but. Um, but that I hear that now more on the radio than I ever did in the seventies. Interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Justin, your pick. Well, so I mean, also we should mention it's not like a kind of regular piano that Nella Darren has. She has this like it's kind of like a keyboard. She said she got it from Planet Madeline too, and it kind of rolls up and seems like somehow she can play you know everything she wants to, even though there's not eighty eight keys on it. But whatever, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's kind of a magic piano, but. Like when I thought about it, I I thought that she might be the the kind of because like Nella Darren, I think for the most part she's kind of like calm and and reserved. But I thought of her as someone like if she was doing 
music like in around our our time ish that we've been talking about that she would be the kind of person that might write songs like about her true feelings uh and that she might be like a fiona apple kind of <laughs> performer i don't know why i thought that but i love fiona apple oh, and I'm not she familiar plays with piano uh, she was she had some some fairly big hits in the 90s i think hmm. criminal and a few other things anyway I, I i love her music a lot she played piano and she first became prominent when she was pretty young maybe like 19 or 20 or something like that uh and i think she still performs and writes music but um but yeah I, tony you familiar or not? i'm not and i you oh know i have a broad guys. a broad range of <laughs> uh, musical knowledge but um there are one or two that yeah. do escape me i do apologize well i like one of the you know eras of music that i'm into big time is the 90s so i have quite a, a few of those things that that i love but i'm sure some listeners will know fiona apple and her music but okay anyway go and listen this look up like fiona apple criminal might be the one that that she's best known for it's a great song but okay that's awesome. how i imagined her as someone getting her feelings out through writing music and through lyrics yeah oh well you said that i'm just going to throw in an artist that <laughs> probably some people don't know but vienna tang um she's amazing that's and, one i haven't heard of <laughs> yeah well it, it, that's not my pick i'm just that reminds me what, when what you're kind talking. of music um it, she's a songwriter that's <laughs> That's how I have her in my genre in my iPod. But um, yeah, she's just a songwriter. So sort of a slower, but just writing songs from her heart. I I, maybe coffee house type of music. Okay. You know, something you would hear in a coffee house. And I like that kind where it's like a a singer songwriter kind of music. Yeah, she's a great songwriter. So, Hmm. all right. But my pick for her with the piano, and like you said, because it's more of like a keyboard. So she's very versatile. She can you know, synthesize music in and make her keyboard sound however she wants. And so I'm putting her uh, on stage with Billy Joel. Yeah, I actually had that as a possibility. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, because, well, he's such a great piano player. Yeah. He's the piano man. He is. (laughs) Yeah. But that's a great choice. Yeah. You thinking she would just, like, accompany him, he'd also be playing piano and she'd be playing her portable one? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Nice. Yep. Nice pick. <laughs> All right. So to Tony, we've got, let me just run through it now. <laughs> so we're going to see if we can figure out what type of sound all of these characters would have if they showed up at the same time to put on a concert. So we have a trombone, a resican flute, a violin, cello, trumpet, mandolin, clarinet, flute, and a piano. All right, Tony. Well, what kind of music are we going to hear from all of this? Well, assuming that Data can sing and um, Miles O'Brien can sing, he proved a nemesis that he can sing. Yeah, and (laughs) that they could harmonize. And Worf can sing too. Let's if we're put if we're throwing in singers, right? Then I'd like him to be. Like Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Oh, all right. Wow. And come up with a sound. And maybe somebody else could come in and be the Neil Young part. But uh, yeah, I mm. definitely can see them coming out with uh, a Crosby, Stills, and Nash um, kind of sound. Nice. Well, they're one nice. of my favorites. So I yeah, that is a that. good... <laughs> 
Tony, that's so good. I love well, that. You huh. mentioned yeah. uh, Nights in White Satin by the Moody uh-huh. Blues. Oh, no, I'm getting that wrong. Uh, let me see. Am I getting that wrong? No, that's that's right. No, I am getting it. No, uh, you know, I'm not getting it wrong that you said it. I'm getting this, the, the song that they sang mixed up with a different song. I was going to suggest that they, they might sing. But um, no, uh, yeah, definitely uh, a Crosby, Stills, and Nash kind of sound. That, like that, that would it. be na- natural for them. I could totally see that. I love it. All right, Justin? Yeah, I mean, you look at all of these together, and I mean, you could go a, like a couple of different ways. I mean, sure, you could put them all together in like a classical group or something like that. But mm-hmm. I, I mean, there's there's just like a lot of different like instruments and and styles. And oh, let me think about this. Um, I don't know. Maybe we could we could go with like a really kind of unconventional combination for for well maybe we'll put in like data on guitar and we'll maybe we'll say he plays like electric guitar mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of the acoustic guitar he plays in silicon avatar i think it could it could be a, a cool combination to really get them to express themselves for it to be like a funk or soul group <laughs> where they could just like, cause a lot of times in that music, they do have like horn sections or like stuff yeah. that accompanies them. Clarinet or the place. whatever yeah. is maybe violin, maybe like a little different, but I think that could make for a really interesting sound. And I'm trying to think like who would, who would be singing? I think it would be, hilarious if it was like picard doing like soul or funk <laughs> it would be great <laughs> if somehow he could do that i could probably see Riker doing it more but I, I love that kind of music and i'm just trying to think like if you could throw all that together and make it work i would pay a lot of money to see that <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, yeah. i'd like picard's voice to come out sounding like ozzy osborne <laughs> that would be amazing that would be pretty great yep oh. <laughs> uh. Well, for my mashup group, I was just trying to think of a group that has a wide range and can do anything in any style. And so for me, I'm going with Queen, maybe the Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, all right. But like they, I mean, because when (laughs) I look at Queen, like they can just do everything and I can just, and Bohemian Rhapsody gets a little classical. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's like a little opera. Worf would appreciate it. exactly. That is an excellent choice. It's a great choice. Yeah, I can just see them all doing it and somebody saying I a little silhouette of a man (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah the queen tribute band on the holodeck that that. yes (laughs) let's bring it (laughs) yeah do you think they have a glee club on the enterprise you know oh that's funny i don't know about that they do because you know somewhere they all have to get together and and practice you know if they're going to be a band they can't just you know turn up and do it they got to practice somewhere. Mm. So maybe they have oh, a glee yeah. club and they all get together on a Tuesday evening when they're not playing poker. Oh, if you mean practicing. I thought by glee club you meant like a certain kind of that music, but yeah. No, but they, they would do just, it. Like like there'd be little episodes or adventures that they all have, but effectively 
they'd all be specializing in something. And they'd have little... Star Trek, the next generation, the musical. Yeah, and then they'd have little squabbles about stuff and... No, Q, you can't play everything. Tony, (laughs) you need to go out to the fan film community and tell them they need to make Make The Next Generation the musical. (laughs) It's got to happen. It's got to happen. Oh, my gosh, Uh, that's hysterical. Yeah, it is. And then they'd they'd all have a squabble and a fight over what they were going to do. But in the end, when they all got together on the stage, they just floor everybody. Because they'd be so good. I think they'd be fighting over the interpretation of scientific findings or... Something like that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it would be awesome. But another thing I thought of, see, it. we're leaving a, a crucial piece of the puzzle out of this. And that is the holodeck, because you can mm-hmm. recreate anything inside the holodeck. Now, I may be going off at a tangent on this one, but there is a kind of a precedent. And that is to bring in the crew of the original Enterprise and mm. to bring in Kirk because he has a strange yeah. singing voice. Spock, who plays <laughs> his liar. Yeah. And Uhura is who's just got the most magnificent voice. Yeah. And, and Scotty on bagpipes, and right? And Scotty on bagpipes. <laughs> and to bring them all in huh. on a holodeck and have them all jamming wow. away. Uh, you know, I just thought, why not? Because you know, Picard let's knows just mash Kirk, up all... Because you met him in yeah. Generations in the Nexus. Yeah, yeah. they're all in yeah. the Nexus. They're all in the Nexus. But you know what? Let, let's just mash up like all the different series. We'll have Harry Kim on his yeah. clarinet. We'll have the Doctor yeah. with his singing yeah. voice and all that. Well, yeah. the Doctor yeah. is on the Enterprise because he appeared in... Um, uh, well, not the Doctor from Voyager, but another yeah. know, like Mark One hologram. Well, yeah, but, but sure, he can yeah. sing. <laughs> I'm just if saying. it's added to his subroutine. Oh, I'm sure. I'm <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. But no, that would be really fun just to have like a holodeck mashup of just like everybody in Star Trek who plays an instrument and just have like a huge day long jam. Or maybe yeah. even since it's the holodeck, just have like a festival and invite people and stuff. So oh, 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 oh. And you could have, um, what's his name? The guy, Victor Moon. What's what's the character? Oh, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Vic. Vic Fontaine. Vic Fontaine. From, uh, yeah. From DS9, and I and I love him, and I love that kind of music, so you could have him be in the lounge yeah. singer. Yeah. And Odo playing piano, maybe, because yeah. he can do that. <laughs> just... So, and, and uh, oh, and Kira singing, which she, well, in, anyway. But there should be a special but, yeah. episode where where yeah. everybody's just jamming together and just having a great time, and, yeah. and then the... Star Trek, the jam. The jam, <laughs> bring back the jam. <laughs> And then the, the whatever episode that is, it just ends where we just see everybody back in their quarters and they've got their little head st- earphones st- stuck in their head and you can't actually hear yeah. what they're listening to, but their heads are nodding to the music. <laughs> and you I know like they're it. listening to yeah. something funky. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Very nice. All right. Well, what a fun discussion. Uh, Tony, again, thank you for this great idea and for coming on Earl Grey. Really great to have you. Uh, Where can people find you online? Oh, thank you very much. Um, Well, online, on Twitter, Shamrock165, on the Babel Conference, with um, I do pop up and put things in there from time to time. So that's where you find me. Um, if you want to say something about continuing mission, 
you'll find me there and melodic tracks love to hear some people commenting on what's happening with that but yep okay again thank you and just pleasure to have you on a real treat for me to be here real treat yeah thank you it was a great idea had a lot of fun i listened to some music to prepare for this so that's always great so thank you all right listeners well for next week's episode Actually, we will be off next week because we are going to be enjoying our Star Trek Las Vegas convention. So, but the week after that, we will get to our final episode. I'm a little sad of our favorite. It's not our final episode because there's the movies too. Oh, that's true. Okay. (laughs) Our final regular season. Uh, Yes. Our season seven. Oh, but it still makes me sad. (laughs) Our favorite character moments. So uh, listeners, if you want to watch a couple of episodes from season seven, and uh, hopefully we might pick some of yours. Well, it's been so much fun talking about characters who play musical instruments on The Next Generation, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM. Meta Treks. You can see Gene Roddenberry playing with the idea of what we could become given our full potential. And the aliens that have achieved that, looking down and, and kind of criticizing or examining or evaluating humanity from a moral standpoint, almost like Q does in, in putting humanity on trial. There's a sense in which humanity is being judged by these morally superior aliens that are genuinely pacifist. Or in the case of Q, genuinely narcissistic. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. He's not trying to, to be a Starfleet officer. He doesn't care about doing that in the context of, well, because I want to prove that I'm a Starfleet officer. But I think that, and again, this is what perhaps in, in hindsight, after the fact, he starts to realize that who he is aligns itself or can align itself with what Starfleet stands for. To the journey! I was wondering why they didn't do a mind meld at the end of the, the episode. Why, why would they do that? Because Tressa has 90 some odd years, 94, 96 years of life experience, and Tuvok is a Vulcan, so he can mind meld. Why wouldn't he do that? Because there's no reason to do that. You're just going around mind melding with people willy-nilly just because they're old and you want their knowledge? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, it's like space genealogy. Dude, boundaries. Melodic treks. And, uh, you know, I talked to the producers when I first did the show and the first thing they had me do was take a combination of the dun da 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 you know, Sandy Courage wonderful horn theme and um, Jerry's da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, his theme for the first movie and, and make a theme out of those and combine them. So I did it electronically and they said, good enough and I said, I look, this is not my specialty and they said, never mind, you got it. So, 18 years later, you know, that was it. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. 
We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So, Justin, where can people contact you when you're not continuously watching Picard and Nella Darren make music together? Oh, what was that? I was watching Picard and Nella Darren making some music. Did you ask <laughs> oh me a question? <laughs> you're so funny. <laughs> I was like, Justin, where are you? <laughs> I, no, I was literally watching a video of Picard and Nella. I'm sorry, I just can't help it. In all yeah. the spaces where I'm not talking, that's what I'm watching. But... On the occasions when I'm not doing that, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. I'm tweeting out my Season 6 rewatch of The Next Generation. And you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. And Amy, where can people contact you when you're not listening to Riker playing the trombone in whatever group you'd like him to play in? Yes, he can just be anywhere. I'll listen <laughs> to him all day long. Uh, you can find me here on the network. I co-host The Edge with Patrick Devlin, and that's about Star Trek Discovery. Um, oh, yeah. Guess what? I'm on Twitter, too. I'm at Miss Amy <laughs> Nelson, and I am tweeting about my Deep Space Nine watch, and I'm currently in season four. Getting very good. Uh, but my favorite place is right here on the Babel Conference. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We like to take this opportunity and recognize our current associate producers. They are Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, and Thomas Appel. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. Listeners, join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Star Trek The Next Generation, the musical. It should be here soon. <laughs> Great joy and gratitude. <laughs>